This is The Guardian. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hello and welcome to the Guardian Football Weekly. Four more teams make it to the last 16 of the World Cup. Argentina turn it around from their opening day defeat. France were through and lose playing their B team. Poland get through despite stinking the place out, relying on a while on just being not as dirty as Mexico. And at the death, letting the Saudis help them out. The big shock on paper, at least, is Australia beating the Dark Horses Denmark and claiming second spot in Group D. We'll discuss Matthew Leckie's brilliant goal, the extraordinary defensive wall that is Harry Suter. We'll try and work out if Chesney on Messi was a penalty, even though no human thought it was. Also today, Iranian fans are allegedly beaten for wearing the wrong T-shirt, something to think about for the journos parroting the I'm having a nice time in Qatar line. We'll discuss penalty shootouts in group games at the next World Cup, a bit of Pearl Jam, footballers in period dramas, your questions, and that's today's Guardian Football Weekly. On the panel today, Mark Langdon from the Racing Post. Hello. Hello, Max. Hello, John Bruin. Hello, Max. Hello, Filippo Clare. Hello, Max. And from Buenos Aires, Marcela Mora y Araujo. Buenos dias, buenas noches. Buenos dias. It's sunny. It's a sunny day. Hello. It looks beautiful there. It's a giant plant sitting behind you. It's a wonderful scene you pick. Anyway, so look, Argentina are through. That group, I mean, the ridiculous thing about this group was the fact that from for, until Saudi Arabia scored late on, Poland were about to go through on yellow cards um ale said we need a total yellow card graphic on the tv for us this qatar isn't that big surely poland and mexico could toss a coin and one of them drive to the other stadium for penalties to settle this rather than yellow cards nick says what else should it be a conquers tournament carl said a, a tug of war and jonathan wilson says i was there in batter for the guinea victory over Mali on drawing of lots at the Cup of Nations in 2015. would love to cover another one. The Guinean delegate running a lap of the hotel car park on celebrating, <laughs> then doing breathless interviews. Three Polish bookings. Hawaii, he says. It is, um, John, it seems ridiculous. I can't think of a better way necessarily. I mean, I'd love tug of war, but it just seems like the last 10, 15 minutes were sort of faintly ridiculous for people watching on two screens going, oh, look, Poland have had a booking. It could all change. Yeah, when Kokovia got a book in, I thought, here we go. This is this is we get to see the real World Cup. You know, the bit, the, <laughs> the sort of the bit beyond the, the beyond, if you see what I mean. Um, and uh, I'll credit him. Mark tells us uh, that uh, Senegal went out of the World Cup by this means, but I don't remember it 
feeling this this edge of tension as we did here. Maybe it's the the the, the change in technology over the last four years. So everyone's double screening, everyone's working it out. Uh, you've got Danny Murphy completely dumbfounded on the BBC coverage by how this is going to happen. It did add that extra bit of jeopardy and. Um, I'm sorry to say this, Marcella, but uh, Argentina took a back seat to all that stuff, really, didn't they? It was uh, the countback of yellow cards. Incredible. Uh, but if, do you know what? It didn't actually matter in the end. And we were just, it was, you know, because Saudi Arabia scored that late goal. Yeah. So all in all, Marcella, I mean, you just had a nice time, really. You were much better. I mean, Poland were absolutely dire in this game. But considering what happened after the first game, it's been quite a good turnaround for you, hasn't it, really? It's been amazing, actually. And I, yeah, I mean, it was weird, right? Poland didn't actually try to score at all. Like, it's not our imagination. That is what happened. But we just grew into it. And it was just rather beautiful. We're going, oh, yes, I see what they're doing. Oh, I see. Yes, that's what that substitution was about. Oh, good, lovely passing. And then it's just quite great. I have to say, I mean, not that I'm old enough to remember because I'm not, but the penalty definition at the end of games is relatively new in the ancient tradition of the game of football. And you used to kind of toss coins and things to decide the winner after a draw. So I guess any old random way of choosing between two equal teams is valid. And as you say, it didn't come to it. But I think Philippe was sharing earlier this news that, that it might go to penalty definitions for the next World Cup, which makes me terribly sad because I think it's kind of this idea of, you know, more penalties, more stopping and starting, more set pieces. It's just further away from this rather beautiful exposition that you just saw of the South American flair. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I take your point, Marcella, but I mean, it's something ridiculous about drawing names out of a hat, which obviously I'm, I'm a big fan of drawing stuff out of a hat. I, occasionally in my personal life, will buy a lot of Kinder eggs and empty them and put <laughs> names in to draw totally meaningless things out. So I think in an elite football tournament, it's got to be better than, than that. And maybe fair play, I, I don't know what you think, Philippe, maybe fair play is the right thing to do. Oh. Yeah, um, I, I was thinking because uh, the hipsters will get at us for that because there is a precedent for this, which is the 1968 Euro semi-final between Italy and, and the Soviet Union, which mm -hmm. finished nil-nil, and it was a coin toss. But what made it absolutely exquisite is that there were 70,000 people in the stadium and they retreated to the dressing room <laughs> to do the coin toss so that the people who were there at the San Paolo in Naples, had absolutely no idea what had happened. It's like Italy. VAR. It's like VAR, it's isn't it? It's like people going, we just don't know in the stadium. We've got no idea. Why don't they tell us what's going on? That's brilliant. And, and then uh, Italy won on a coin toss, and then they uh, played the final, and they drew in the first game, and they had a replay. They didn't toss a coin for the final. But there you go. There you go. I don't know. No, it was I mean, extraordinary. Look, look I, I think Argentina... I don't really think Marco Argentina played very well in that game. I mean, as Marcella says, <laughs> she sounds you know, rightly bemused. Poland didn't seem to do anything. It didn't even do anything in that football match, did they? No, I, I think that that will have helped Argentina um, look as good as they did. The fact that um, their opponents were so passive and offered just zero threat. And, you know, I think if there is, you know, a weakness, I suppose, to the Argentinian team, and we saw Saudi Arabia expose it, um, you know, that they're, I think you can 
sort of run beyond them. Uh, uh, you know, if you're brave enough to to put people into those positions, but Poland um, never attempted um, that once, and um, in a weird way, got more defensive the further they went behind. Um, given the the nature of the group, I would like to see it settled on shots on target. I think is a a, a better way. Uh, I know, uh, obviously, Troy and a few others have got their own definition, though, of what a shot on target uh, might mean. But at least that does, uh, to some extent, encourage attacking play. Um, whereas whereas with, with a yellow card, I mean, some referees are, are far more um, you know, uh, easy with the yellow cards than what other people are. So it can come down to the luck of you know, how um, rash your referee is as well. Yeah, I, I mean, I like the idea of, you know, you need three more shots on target. So people are just absolutely launching it from anywhere. <laughs> just, to, you know, just like, you know, just a P-rolling it. Just make sure, hit the target, Jeff. Doesn't matter. Um, um, Within that game, I mean, that the, the big moment, I mean, the, the sort of controversial moment, John, was the penalty decision, which I think, like everybody, I was like, well, that is never a penalty in a million years. I can't, Messi's gone down like a ton of bricks. Chesney's barely touched him. And they just sort of, as I sort of as the as my evening progressed, I started thinking maybe it is a foul because no. Messi's got the ball and Chesney's punched him in the face. Not not a lot. And someone said tweet me saying you've taken forty four minutes for that VAR decision, which is quite a long time. But are we are we not having it? Are we not saying Dale Johnson, ESPN, and you know football laws man said not a penalty. No, I mean, funny enough, the way Messi went down, I thought, oh, we're in for a World Cup concussion controversy here. Messi with concussion. Uh, of course, he was fine because uh, Szczesny's fingernail had rushed against him in the act of reaching for the ball, the ball which he got to first. And let's just say, uh, I don't think that... Dis- OK, do you reckon VAR referees up in the gantry, up in uh, their version of uh, the, the Uxbridge um, office that we have in the Premier League, do you reckon they want to collect VAR decisions for big players? So it's like, oh, I gave a VAR. I I gave a VAR for Messi. Oh, do you know what? I gave one for Ronaldo. And then, (laughs) you know, and then the the one at the other end is thinking, you know, it'd be just great if Lewandowski got in the box, but obviously that's not going to happen today. But, you know, so I could give him a decision. Never a penalty, Jeff. Never a penalty. I am, yes. I like you called him Sir Chesney, which is obviously uh, Chesney Hawks was knighted after his. Yes, absolutely, yeah. Uh, in the England game yesterday. Uh, when, when Messi missed that penalty, Marcelo, did you think, oh, here we go, I'm worried, or were you pretty relaxed for the whole thing? No, uh, no, very much. Very worried. And it was every minute of all of this three games and the space in between, space-time dimension in between, has been like a a communal psychological trip among the entire country. I can't even explain how this is happening but you know and and the bench and the players there was a rather lovely kind of Proustian piece the other day saying those those tears from the manager and his assistants were the sign we needed to know that we're they're feeling it with us and we're all we're all together but um it was yeah I don't think we were quite as tense though because the play was good, you know, the playmaking was good. They seemed calmer. You know, my my young boys that I like to mention every time we speak, Enzo and Julian were were good. They well, Julian Alvarez was terrific, in fact. So there was not not so much nerves. We did lose the internet connection for a couple of minutes at one point, and that did look like might be the end of 
family life and perhaps the neighbourhood because I was about to climb over the garden wall and just sit and sit on the neighbour's settee. But uh, I don't know. I mean, there's now going to be like a, a new wave of euphoria, obviously, and the fact that we're facing Australia might even give us again that kind of slightly overconfident underestimation of the opponent thing. So we may just be in a loop. We may just go through this over and over and over. Well, but hey, I'm here it's for probably it. fine, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. I mean, you do think, Mark, and we'll get to Australia in, in part two, but even though Argentina don't seem as vintage Argentina as perhaps I thought they were at the start of the tournament, Australia shouldn't be a problem. Shouldn't. I mean, I, I would say that Harry Souter would be um, far... Uh, far more better suited to taking on Cornelius of Denmark than he is Messi and Alvarez of, of Argentina with his style of play. I mean, Argentina have ended up in a really nice part of, of the draw, haven't they? Because, uh, you know, Australia would be um, the weakest team left in the competition at the moment in terms of those that are through. And then if, if they do win that, Netherlands have not shown up at all so far, or USA. So I think that the, you know the draw has opened up nicely for Argentina from where they were just over a week ago and, and losing to Saudi Arabia to, to suddenly be in this position to have found their rhythm as well. You know, Messi's playing well. It looks like Scaloni has found I think a better balance to the team. He was searching for that early on, but um, you know, sort of you know Fernandez coming in and, and Alvarez has already been mentioned. Um, so yeah, I mean you know everything looks really positive now for Argentina. I still would worry about their defence when it comes you know, at the, the very highest level. But it, it looks like they could get through the next couple of games without actually being overly tested. Uh, what do you reckon, Philly? I was actually quite impressed with them, Max, uh, this evening, even though it was against a completely non-existent team. But uh, we haven't talked about the main man yet. Messi was absolutely magnificent tonight. Marcela, I was... I thought you would be jumping in from, you know, the, the shrubbery at the background there. You'd be jumping out saying, yes, absolutely. No, he was absolutely magnificent today. No, I did, but I muted my mic. But absolutely, I was, <laughs> absolutely was magnificent. And he was consistently magnificent. Yes. Um, missing a penalty or, you know, shot at goal that doesn't uh, go in is a detail. He was consistently the best of himself. And I think... That's just great because I think there's a sense in which everybody wants Messi to win the World Cup, not even Argentina, but just Messi and even opponents or, you know, random people that aren't Argentinian. And I just keep hearing this phrase, he should win it. But I think if he doesn't win it and yet he bows out playing like he did today, then that would just be amazing as well. You know, what what would be sad is a really bad game or an injury or a, a career cut short somehow. But today was like a, it was just glorious. It was, it was really lovely actually. I haven't enjoyed a football match as much for ages. And I think, I mean, I'm obviously totally biased, but I think I might have said that even if I wasn't <laughs> an Argentinian surrounded by the Argentinian gods that might strike me for saying otherwise. I mean, you probably wouldn't have said it if you were a pole, and that would be my my my, my first reaction. And, and you've got to feel within this, and maybe it's you know, there's a whole group. Poland have come second. Perhaps they deserve to come second. But you've got to no. feel, John, for the Mexico for the okay. 
No. No. Well, no, no. Do you feel for the Mexicans, John? Because they really went for it today. They played good stuff. It was a really pulsating match. And they really went for it. They scored this wonderful free kick, Luis Chavez, who almost scored another one. And it's not feel like Mexico deserved to be there over Poland. Do you know when, um, sometimes when you see World Cup, that they put this ranking of what position a team came in. Have you seen this? I was looking, some teams are considered finishing fifth in a World Cup and stuff like that. Do we think Mexico have finished 17th in this World Cup by getting so close? I'm just trying to think who I felt sorry for yesterday. I can't remember, but yeah, I take your point. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they they got as close as possible. And obviously, you know, the goal they conceded at the end was a result of the fact that they're pushing everything forward. Obviously, Jimenez is chucked on. Get it launched didn't really work towards the end. I mean, Saudi Arabia, I have to say, looked like one of the fitter teams in the tournament and probably quite difficult to play against. And as Argentina found out, yeah, they were unlucky. But I suppose... Uh, you know, if you're Mexico, you don't have to worry about going out in the second round again. So, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's <laughs> I mean, that's just the cliche about them. So they've buried that ghost. They've buried that ghost about going out in the second round by finishing 17th in the tournament. So, yeah. I have to say the commentary here, the telecommentary was saying at the end, come on, Argentina, score one more for Mexico and get them through. Because I think there was at some point a weird algebra whereby the goal difference would have meant they went through. So I think there is some affinity. And and Tata Martina obviously is a very much loved character in the Argentinian national team, not just in the country. So it is a little bit sad to see them go. But then we're at that point, half of, everyone has to go we can feel sad for them of course but look at my horrible grin because i'm not in that half. <laughs> you don't give us you don't give a shit philippe you do you could yeah i i do i do because i i have a great affinity with this mexican team i absolutely love them to bits and i'm i despair of them but also they have brought to this world cup certainly far more than the polish uh, have done and will do. Uh, Being in terms of the way they played, the game they played tonight, honestly, was it was just magnificent. But it was also quite logical they would go out because Max, just to go back, you remember when we did the preview of that group, we said Saudi Arabia would be rubbish. Well, they finished last. Okay, they beat Argentina, but they finished last of this group. And you might remember that we were talking about Mexico going to the round of 16 every single time. And I told you, it might be the time that they don't. And actually, they didn't, because what we saw tonight was what we had seen in the previous months and years, which is a Mexican team that can score goals against far lesser teams and can look on occasions dangerous, but is lacking Uh, this edge against the better ones and which is what cost them so in the end it's quite logical even if it feels absolutely sickening I mean who would not have Mexico over Poland in the round of 16 apologies Polish listeners but honestly I'm just talking about the football here we would love to have Mexico wouldn't we yeah we just have to wait four years to see Guillermo Achoya again you know doing his thing in his tights so look what does that mean Saturday Netherlands the USA Argentina, Australia, Sunday, France, Poland, England, Senegal. I mean, it feels like you know which four will go first. (laughs) (laughs) As I I say that. Anyway, look, that'll do for uh, part one. Marcella, thank you so much. We'll see you again soon. Lovely. Thank you. Toodle pip.
Take it easy. Uh, Marcelo Mora y Araujo in Buenos Aires. Uh, we'll be back in a second to look at the group where France got through with their B team in Australia, stunned Denmark. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, You won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Okay, then Group D, uh, France uh, win the group, Australia in second. And that is probably the story of this group, isn't it? Michael says, did the Aussie barista bring enough Joe for the knockout stages or is he going to need to fly back down under and come back with more? Luke says, could Max process his citizenship application quickly enough to be Australian in time for the Socceroos to bring it home down under? Matteo, given that the victory parade will close off access to Sydney Harbour Bridge, where should traffic be redirected? Uh, before we talk to the panel, let's talk to Emma Kemp from Guardian Australia, who was at the Al Danube Stadium. Emma, uh, how are you? <laughs> I can barely speak, to be honest, I can barely think. I'm frazzled, I am all over the place and I'm still in shock. It's been an hour and a half and I still haven't come down from this high. It was just, I think it was just because it was unexpected, you know, I think we all thought that that Australia had played their final against Tunisia, that they they got up for that and they defended so well against Tunisia and then they were gonna come here and be a bit deflated. And to be fair, they were at the start and I was just thinking, God, they're, they're gonna be up here you know before half time a couple of times over but of course everything changed <laughs> and it was partly Denmark I think they just played well below their best tonight let's talk about moments Emma that Matthew Leckie goal I mean it's it's a brilliant piece that the ball wasn't sticking right I, I messaged all my mate you know I'm in a whatsapp group with Fars and bars and that lot and I was like you need a centre forward who where it can stick and it didn't and then suddenly out of sort of nowhere Matthew Leckie scored a brilliant goal it was, and it was it was on the counter-attack, which has, has been where all of Australia's goals have come from this tournament. Um, but it was it was just superb, and he, and he ran into space at about the halfway line, and as he was kind of closing on goal, I thought, God, he's not going to take this shot quickly enough. But he did, and of course, it, it went straight across Schmeichel's face and then sort of snuck into the, the far corner. Um, and look, it's, as you said, they didn't haven't had a forward that would stick. It was four years ago that, you know, we couldn't buy a goal from open play scored two penalties at the last World Cup, including one against Denmark for a draw. But it's just superb. And Matt Leckie has been excellent all tournament. I would say it's very hard to pick a standout player given some of the other performances. And Harry Sutar was again immense, but, but Leckie's just been excellent. Emma's right, Philippe, isn't he? Harry Sutar was ridiculous in this game. Yes, yes. Do you remember, Max, when we, when we were talking, going through the back line in the midfield of the Socceroos, and we were enumerating the clubs they were coming from. I do. 
and we were saying things that perhaps we regret saying or you regret saying. <laughs> maybe. Yes, maybe. No, it was absolutely magnificent. And the way they kept their composure, because I think, again, we're going to speak about the fact that uh, if the Danes had uh, a proper center forward, a proper finisher, it might have been a different World Cup for them. But the way they kept the shape until the very last, there was absolutely no panic, which is crazy. Even when they were panicking, there was no panic. It's, does that make sense? Yeah, I think so. I think that makes sense. I guess the only time Emma then might have been panic was when Denmark got a penalty for about 0.5 seconds. Oh, God, yeah, yeah. And very quickly the offside flag went up. But yeah, they, um, they did say that that, you know, that composure was sort of kept by the dugout and by Graham Arnold in the dugout as well. Just his directives were just really calm he didn't kind of get overwrought you know if, if one of the players was out of position he would just tell them to calm down keep their head reset start again um it was actually we had a funny moment in the mix zone just before Milos Degenek who was playing right back today he said that after Leckie scored that goal Graham Arnold called him over and said Tunisia have scored we need to win and he went onto the pitch and told the players and they all thought he was taking the piss like just trying to keep them on their game <laughs> that's so good um, on the flip side, Mark, I mean, Denmark were absolutely appalling. I mean, Chris says, is getting knocked out of the World Cup the darkest, horsest, dark horse move? I mean, they were, they were. you just were sort of waiting for a moment when they'd go, hang on a second. You know, they got players like Eriksen, Hoiberg, and I know they don't have a recognised centre forward necessarily, not a brilliant one, but there was no energy at all. No, I mean, they've, they've kind of been the turkey, haven't they, of the Euros, really, where they were um, suggested as a, a dark horse. And I think France were were probably worried about Denmark maybe securing top spot in this group before um, a ball was kicked. They were, I mean, they, they started quite well uh, without creating loads of chances. They were, you know, in, in control of the game up to a point. But the panic that they showed in the second half, they, they just lost their way completely, started hitting long balls up to, to to their forwards and you know that is what sort of any kind of underdog team wants they've got they've got players in that central zone you have to play um sort of more clever than that they have got players that can do um that job you know Ericsson uh, is supposed to be the one that makes them tick uh, he wasn't as creative as he can be and, and you can say credit to Australia for kind of closing the space and not making it easy for him but you would expect a player of his quality to be able to deliver at least one or two moments, um, and he didn't pick those passes. They will be cursing the fact that they've not really got um, a centre forward that they can hang their hat on. But I mean, Australia and Tunisia haven't either, and you know that they've managed to win games at this World Cup. I suppose at the Euros, you looked at it, and Damsgaard and Dolberg just sort of caught fire and you know were, were able to stay hot for a, a few matches, and um, neither of them looked up to the, the task um, in this tournament. And it was a really poor performance. And actually, as the game went on, they got worse. And you, you felt like at some stage, well, you know, if they get one goal here, even late on, this match is just going to blow wide open because they're both going to need to win. Um, but they, they never showed that composure um, to be able to pick a pass or to, to unlock what was a very well-organised defence. I was really disappointed with them. Uh, what did you make of it, John? Well, actually, uh, I was looking at the squad list of Australia and their success in this World Cup is that unlikely alliance of the Australian A-League and the Scottish Premiership, <laughs> which hands across the ocean. And, of course, um, the cheerleader with the ACL, 
I think that's a nice touch from Graham Arnold, you know, just bringing him. Now, uh, Graham Arnold, um, to those of us, uh, I mean, I've spent a, a time in Australia, those of us who uh, grew up with Australian culture coming our way, he seems very Australian, Graham Arnold, doesn't he? And my my reading of Australia's success at, at, at this this World Cup, and listen, they had a decent World Cup in 2006, and but it's a very different makeup of the squad these days. I mean, that was a sort of makeup of Premier League players and players that have played around uh, the sort of higher echelon of Europe a bit more. But um, he's harnessed what I can see that Australian sporting spirit and transferred it to soccer in a way that I haven't seen before. And um, I was quite amused to, to hear one of the players saying, "Oh, we're going to have a really wild celebration tonight." And then Graham Arnold saying, no, there won't be any celebration. (laughs) (laughs) The next match is in two days. Well, absolutely. Well, yeah, I mean... Three, three, sorry. Yes, and, well, you know, uh, in the old days, the Australian cricket team, that wouldn't have been a problem. But, you know, these are different times. And uh, it's great to see Australia get so far in this tournament. And it's not over yet. And, uh, yeah, fantastic. Delighted for them. Speaking of very Australian, Matty says, is Riley McGree being replaced by Bailey Wright, the most Australian <laughs> substitution of all time? Chris says, can you get Dr. Carl Kennedy on as a guest to preview uh, the next Australia game? I mean, it's really important to say, Emma, and we talked about this briefly after the Tunisia win, you know, this this means so much to Australian football fans, right, who feel kind of in a minority and they're always sort of on the defensive, they're always fighting for their sport. And, and to see Federation Square in, in Melbourne, and I was sending it to the group now there is like federation square cam which i think is available most of the time it's a square in melbourne it's normally got like a few things in it and just someone sort of selling donuts and there were thousands of people there and it was and it's 2 30 a.m kickoff i mean that is ridiculous like you know like the thought of going out at 2 30 a.m to watch a football match but try and encapsulate if you can what it means for australian football it's really difficult to do that um i guess maybe the best the best way to encapsulate it is i was sitting next to a journalist who i won't name who burst into tears at full time <laughs> right next to me was it vince um, regari no it, it it wasn't vince regari no i've never seen that man cry before um but it is so big for the country and for football fans in australia because football as you know it's it's like the fourth or fifth sport and at a grassroots level all the kids play and then they all get poached because if they're athletic, they'll go and play AFL or they'll go and play cricket or rugby league or whatever. And there's no money being poured into it at all. You know, the, the viewing figures of Australia's domestic league are, are terrible. For some reason, there's just no cut through with that in terms of fandom. Everyone supports clubs overseas. So if the national team doesn't have, you know, big, well-known players in it, then they're just not going to follow the national team. And so that's what they do. You know, they drop off during qualifying and, and hop on the bandwagon for the big moments. But I think the thing that's different about this one is that, well, A, we've, we've won and we're through to the round of 16, but it's just the manner in which that's happened, you know, that this team is a real collective. And Graham Arnold is so Australian and I kind of, I'm a bit loath to quote him when he talks about these kind of opaque terms like Aussie DNA and talks about boxing kangaroos going out there for the fight. But, yeah. <laughs> He has. I mean, it's just awful to listen to. But, but I mean, who are, who are we to say say that now? You know, he's obviously a genius. Um, <laughs> he he has just built this squad together, and there is a really good feeling in the squad, a feeling of unity um, and having each other's backs. And and like you said, John, the the fact that Martin Boyle's been, you know, he's stuck around and he's been kind of 
named himself the official vibes manager of the squad. Just, I, I guess, kind of speaks to that a bit. I'm just trying to look at the, the the sort of stats. You know, it's the sixth World Cup, just the second time they've got to a knockout. Uh, 2006, 2006, it was Lucas Neal, don't go to ground. Fabio Grosso's dive, wasn't it, against Italy? Don't mention um, it. <laughs> no, um, and, and, you know, previously just won three of 18 games. It is for those smaller nations. And look, we've got a lot of listeners in Australia. I know I'm sort of slightly Australian biased. We've got a lot of listeners in Denmark who are probably hating listening to this. It's just an absolutely brilliant moment. And actually the impact it can have on football, it seems ridiculous that just one result or just getting to one more game can have such an impact. But it can, can't it? But that's how it works, isn't it? And it happens for, for every country, especially the smaller ones. You know, as soon as something good happens, then then it kind of, it, it gets everyone on board with it. Yeah. No, 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 you're right. It was a, it was a silly question, actually. <laughs> no, I think about it. No, you're right. I'm, I'm sort of sad not to be there to see exactly how, you know, there's a lot of bandwagon jumping in Australia, like the Today Show and Sunrise and all those will be absolutely all over this. No, do not give a shit about football. We'll be absolutely all over this. I guess, I guess that is how it works. Uh, that's kind of what happened after the Peru playoff game, you know, when Andrew Redmayne suddenly became famous and, and breakfast... TV was losing their shit over it. And yeah, it's going to happen again. <laughs> it is. Uh, well, listen, um, uh, lovely to speak to you. We'll get you on after the next one. Cheers, guys. Bye. Thanks, Emma. Emma Kemp there from Guardian Australia. And obviously that win, they needed to win, I guess, Australia, because everyone would have expected France to beat Tunisia, but they didn't because France played this ridiculous uh, starting eleven. Meek says, is the France starting eleven payback for Australia reneging on those submarines, the <laughs> nuclear submarines? Wow, yeah. Um, Autumn says, is that the most traumatic way for Tunisia to beat France? Or was the victory the best way to crash out of the group stages? How should we look at that result, Philippe? Um, because of what happened at the end, I think winning was not the worst possible thing. Because you looked at the expression on their faces, they knew what had happened in the other game. It was still a huge, huge thing. Uh, for Tunisia to beat France B, France C, France D, I, I don't know how to say it. It was so weird. There are obviously no regulations in place at, at FIFA level, you know, like in the League Cup, when if Wolverhampton Wanderers field the second eleven, they get into trouble. But this was absolutely crazy because nine changes. I was thinking maybe that's, you know, that's the Deschamps outlook. Like in 1998, it was the same situation. France won both of their first two games. And then in the third game, we played the Dugaris, right? And uh, we called them the hairdressers, les coiffeurs. So the players... <laughs> it's, one of my, it's actually one of my favourite bands. Uh, John doesn't like them because they're too mainstream, the Dugaris. But, you know, <laughs> but... three Dugaris, isn't it? Isn't it a three Dugaris? Oh, the three Dugaris, that's brilliant. They, they were King Charles's favourite band at one point. That's true facts. <laughs> Is it? Is that right? Yeah, that's absolutely right, yeah. But we call the, this kind of teams les coiffeurs. So basically, right, okay. yeah, the hairdressers or the barbers, because that's the only thing they do in the team, because they'll never play. So you got a chance to Deschamps, being a good uh, son of Aimé Jacquet, thought that we're going to play them. But nine changes, my goodness. I think, I don't know if you would agree with me or if I'm, I'm being too harsh, I probably see the two worst individual performances in the French shirt for perhaps 10 years. Oh, wow, go on. Jordan Verretou. He right. was awful. And for Fana, yes. they were both hooked. They were absolutely appalling. And you would see... <laughs> Adrian Rabiot would be delighted to hear this. <laughs> he came on 
He, he well, yeah, no, whatever. Uh, but no, it, it was very odd. And Cavaminga playing at uh, left back, and I checked. I checked. He's played 140 games before this one. He's never played at left back ever in his life. Mm. He said he couldn't remember. When asked, he said he couldn't remember if he played. Well, he couldn't remember because he never did it. But actually, by the end, he was actually looking quite good. And uh, to be honest, there, there is absolutely nothing to be taken out of this, apart from the fact that if it had meant that Tunisia uh, had gone through in the end, I would have been really, really pissed off um, if I'd been Danish or Australian. And I don't think that's quite right. But that's me just putting, you know... On the other hand, Tunisia fully deserved their win. Um, they were up for it. Kasri scored a goal that illustrated everything that was good about their own play and everything that was bad about France. Other than that, it was a non-game, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, we've sort of celebrated Australia's success, but actually I think Tunisia will, will be really upset and I think over the three matches deserve to go through. I, in the way that they played... Uh, it, it, much better than the score lines of you know one nil, not one, not not suggested. They um, were were aggressive in in a sort of good way that they attacked. They they put men forward. I thought tactically they were really smart in, in all three games. It was just bad finishing let them down in in two of the matches, and then you know they, they've managed to beat France, which will be you know a big result for them, um, albeit one that that sort of means that, that they still go out. But they can be really proud, I think, of their performances. And usually, and I think going into the tournament. Tunisia were one of them teams that we just thought would be really boring and sit back and their games would be low scoring, which they were, but um, the actual evidence um, suggested they played a lot better than that. And I am interested to say that for Philippe to, to pick out those two players to put a wor the worst performance in 10 years, I only saw the highlights, but Clement Longley's performance in the uh, Euros against Switzerland was one of the worst I can ever remember. So in that 3-3, in that so... That, that was a, a, a collective, that Longley was a kind of collective meltdown. <laughs> this was not quite the case. And against, I think, a better adversary. But there you go. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. It's worth saying, Philippe, that um, a lot of people in France think it finished 1-1. Yes, that, that's absolutely amazing. Uh, the broadcaster in France, TF1, uh, decided to go to an ad break when uh, the magnificently named Matt Conger who finally enables me to close my fish team in football, so referee Matt Conger. And they just went to an ad break. And so people genuinely thought they just switched off. It's one all. And they only came back and had to apologize to absolutely everybody, saying it's never going to happen again. Uh, but we're terribly sorry, but we have to tell you that the goal was choked off by the referee. So there's probably a, a number of people in France who are still not probably blaring uh, their horns in the streets, but think that France actually escaped um, with a draw from that game, which is rather odd. <laughs> but also quite funny. Uh, John? Commiserations to Tunisia. Um, having to play, you know, Les Bleus Carabao, which is pretty much what they had to do. It... <laughs> oh, you, could, you could actually say Les Carableux. <laughs> Les Carableux, yeah. Okay, yeah. So, I mean, it was... It, it must have been a strange game to play, but... Um, Aside from Wabi Kazri, who we all recall from uh, Sunderland days in Liga, uh, I'd like to give a shout out to uh, Laiduni, Aisa Laiduni, plays for Ferenc Varos. He's had a great tournament. One of those players that appears in the tournament and just runs all day. 
and ran and ran and ran and ran and um, just didn't leave anything out there. And um, I tend to agree with Mark. I think Tunisia were perhaps a little unlucky in the group they're in. I mean, having said that, we, we must say the Danish were very disappointing. But, I mean, they played a game earlier. Tunisia were a much better team than Denmark in that, that opening group game. And uh, France, um, OK, we've seen... I think Is it every player it's now played? Now, Philippe, I think... Except Alphonse Areola, the third keeper. About the third keeper. Yeah, I think William Saliba was yeah, the last out player to yes. come on, wasn't he? Yeah. And that theory I came up with the other day that everyone in this tournament is a bit shy. Well, France are pushing that theory towards being a truism, I think. <laughs> um, well, I mean, yeah, but I mean that was their reserves, right? You know, they're like... Everyone's reserved. Yeah, but but but, shy, but but yeah, but there was this idea about the French that they had great strength in depth, and I think that was a little bit exposed. Yeah, but I suppose if you that's I mean that is I understand your point, but like strength in depth is you can bring in two players, not you can bring in eleven. <laughs> like that does change. That does change the dynamic. Playing someone at left back who's never done it before, going which way do I point? Camavinga going which way am I meant to look? Do I just hit it down the channels? But anyway, yeah. yeah what? Well, anyway. How? Yeah. How is Camavinga on offside? <laughs> exactly. Uh, you know, exactly. at corners and reading the. He's like, reading I learned offside trap from the Serbian right back. Is that okay? <laughs> like, that really is not okay. Yes, but talking about offside, chalking off the Griezmann goal, okay or not okay for you? I don't know the rules anymore, Philippe. I, I, honestly, I... I was stunned. Do you know, I, I did a TF uh, in that I saw that go in. I went in the other room and thought, oh, it's one all poor Tunisia. They probably deserve to win that. And then, uh, funnily enough, um, I won't name him, a certain media company got the alert wrong as well. So everybody made that mistake. Yeah. So... I had an hour in the pub with two friends and I haven't been to a pub for such a long time that without a small baby, I didn't even see it. So, <laughs> I clapped the Australians and went, that's it, 1-0, 1-0, all done. So, news to me. <laughs> well done. Oh, right. And I'll do for part two. Uh, part three, we'll do any other business. <laughs> Welcome to part three of the Guardian Football Weekly. Uh, now, the Independent and others are reporting that a Danish reporter covering the World Cup said he was detained by police after filming Iranians allegedly being attacked by supporters of the country's regime. Rasmus Tandholt of Danish Network TV2 was attending Iran's final group game against the US when he filmed Iranian fans clashing over the ongoing women's rights protests in the country. Uh, some football fans who showed up in T-shirts with Women, Life, Freedom, written on them as a message of support for the ongoing protests, were allegedly beaten up by a group of men. Tantold, who recorded videos of the incident, tweeted late at night on Tuesday, so now I'm detained by Qatari police for filming Iranians who were attacked by pro-government Iranians. He later tweeted again, saying he was released after being asked to delete my pictures, which I refused. Uh, meanwhile, the journalist Samindra Kunti tweeted, got detained for 15 minutes by security for taking, quote, the wrong photo. Three women, including one young girl, in tears after their Persian flag was confiscated, forced to delete. He also said Iranian fan Saba was asked to show her bra to ensure she was not hiding dissenting messages and all Palestinian flags also being confiscated. Philippe, you spoke to Sami, didn't you? Yeah, I spoke to Sami actually just to make sure that, you know, that uh, that was exactly what happened and he confirmed absolutely uh, everything. Uh, and if I can quote from the message he, he sent me, he, he said, um, 
Palestinian flags were also confiscated. Then I noticed that that Persian flag was being confiscated, a man with her two kids, a boy and a girl. Uh, the girl started crying, so I took a photo of it. I tried to get one of the confiscated flags. Security got on to me and asked me to delete it. They said to my colleague from the Hindustan Times, who was with me, that 500 cameras were watching us. I refused to delete the photo. They led me to a makeshift room, kept my phone and kept me there for 15 minutes, asking me to delete it. They called a higher-ranking security guard or police officer. And so then I deleted and was let go, except that the photo was still in my deleted folder, which you can see actually on, on Samindra Kunti's uh, feed on Twitter. Yeah, so, I mean, more than anything, it's one for those journalists who are currently writing pieces about how what a nice time they're having in Qatar. To <laughs> yep. Hard fucking look at themselves. Yeah, well, what was that phrase? Everyone is welcome. Exactly, yeah. Uh, in a recent Reuters piece looking at the issues surrounding Iran's games in this World Cup, a Qatari official told them that, quote, additional security measures have been put in place during matches involving Iran following the recent political tensions in the country. Uh, when asked about confiscated material or detained fans, a spokesperson for the Organising Supreme Committee referred Reuters to FIFA and Qatar's list of prohibited items. They ban items with political, offensive or discriminatory messages. Uh, on to some news coming out of the England camp. Uh, a short statement from England said Ben White has left England's training base and return home for personal reasons. The Arsenal defender is not expected to return to the squad for the remainder of the tournament. We ask the players' privacy is respected at this moment in time. White wasn't selected for the first two games against Iran and the US, missed the win against Wales on Tuesday because of illness. Meanwhile, Arsenal said on social media, we're all with you, Ben. Uh, as you can imagine, on social media, there's all sorts of um, speculation. We don't know what's happened, and we just wish him the absolute best in whatever it may be. Uh, the Athletics' Adam Crafton is reporting that FIFA, as we mentioned uh, with Marcella, is considering introducing penalty shootouts to decide whether teams should get a bonus point if group stage games are drawn at the expanded World Cup in 2026. It's going to be 48 teams instead of 32, expected to have 16 groups of three. The FIFA Council previously voted unanimously for three-team groups, but reportedly the possibility of groups with four teams is increasingly returning to conversations behind the scenes. These shootouts could take place at full-time or before kickoff, to avoid a repeat of the disgrace of Gijon in 82 when a 1-0 win for West Germany against Austria sent both teams through at the expense of Algeria. Uh, the Athletic reported FIFA has been contacted for comment. There is actually a cup tournament, I think, in Norway where they have a penalty shootout before the game and depending on how many divisions below you are, you get extra penalties. It obviously wouldn't work in a World Cup. It all, Mark, sounds ridiculous doesn't it yeah i mean starting with a 48 team world cup and then, and then it, it kind of just um snowballs from there they, they keep on trying to make changes i'm not sure who they're doing it for i'm assuming they feel like this is something that maybe us tv um would like but i think that that does a disservice to um, you know the soccer fans um in in the us that actually don't want to be patronized in that way and you know love the game the way that it is um, it, it just feels like a try. You know, it's not just FIFA. Actually, there's a lot, a lot of organisations trying to sort of make football something different, and it's mainly fine as it is. And, and certainly, um, you know, penalty shootouts before or after games doesn't feel natural. But then, you know, nor does a team qualifying um, via um, sort of disciplinary points. So it would at least eliminate that possibility where you could maybe give one team the head-to-head -head advantage if you're level on points so that I suppose at least sort it out on the pitch but no it's a, a complete nonsense but the 48 team World Cup is 
um, where I'd be starting with with the nonsense. Yeah, I mean, it feels John ridiculous, doesn't it? If you think about that England USA goalless draw, they suddenly have a penalty shootout. With point, just it's been weird. Yeah, I have a theory. Um, uh, Mark mentions um, US TV. Um, remember at the start of the tournament, and, and who could forget, we were having you know ten, eleven minutes added on to halves and stuff like that. And now we don't. It's up six, seven minutes. I think watching the games to this evening, I thought, great, we're going to go to ten. 11 minutes here, and there's a lot of stoppages in both those games. But now we're down to six or seven. It's almost as if <laughs> uh, some TV execs have said, hang on, our adverts are, are, are not arriving at the time we're expected to, so could we remove all that? And uh, it's not as if that hasn't happened before, is it, Philippe? Oh, John, you're such a cynic and you're so I right. <laughs> you're so right. <laughs> I must admit, as someone who, you know, especially when there's four games staggered in a day, really values those one hour off you get. When it says 12 minutes injury time, you're like, oh, for goodness sake, I don't have that much time. <laughs> well, I'm, I, you know, I was wishing for more first half injury time in that Argentina game, Max, because I missed... The McAllister goal, I'd, I'd organised for my KFC to be delivered at half-time and I strategically went for 7.55 because I was I was expecting a certain amount of injury time um, and still the delivery driver was late from that. And so when I went downstairs um, to collect the KFC, uh, no sooner as it, and I'd gone downstairs, came back up and McAllister had scored. So, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I'm all in favour of longer um, periods of half-time. Listen, all the listeners want to know is, what's your KFC order? <laughs> I'm, not, I'm, not, well, I'm not the biggest fan of KFC, I would, would have to say, but it, it's just uh, I, the chicken burger, the original sort of one piece of chicken, an extra uh, fillet of chicken, gravy, chips, and the Pepsi Max. So hang on a sec. Sorry, so, start, so you had a chicken burger. Yeah. And then on the side, an extra bit of chicken. Yes, and then a chicken strip as well, like a mini fillet. So there's three. There's chicken three ways. Yeah. Well, did you, did so, you have the salads taken out of the burger? No, 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 because it then arrives even later, so you just scoop it out at sauce. Right. At, at um, the, uh, the chips and, and the gravy, which I'm sure John will at least approve of the gravy with the chips. I've, I've never had KFC gravy, but obviously I'm a, as a professional northerner, Chips and chips bad, and actually. gravy. Like, chips and gravy is very nice, but yeah. <laughs> what a wonderful order! I'm so delighted about that. Um, it's exactly what I wanted. It was everything I wanted it to be and more. Uh, Philippe, I completely lost my train of thought now. <laughs> no, of uh, the, the, the gravy train, obviously. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, delightful. Well, I'll carry on then with some other nonsense that we've got. Actually, Kevin does make quite a good point. I've heard some joshing this. Uh, morning on the pod about Chesney Hawks playing at half time, but like Beckham, Chesney, Chesney is very good at stopping penalties. That is, he is. It's true, but you know, as he says on Chesney Hawks, is he not like just another man taking the Cattery dollar to help put some gloss on the spectacle? I should say I'm enjoying the World Cup for what it is, but the side shows a shit, and it's a very, it's a very good point. You know, we, we have to judge everyone in the same way. That seems important. Stevie says on the subject of uh, I can't remember why I was talking about base players in t-shirts. Greg Berhalter's t-shirt yesterday for the US, and I said, mate, he looked like he was playing bass in Pearl Jam. Um, uh, Stevie says, as a bass player, I can finally contribute to a football weekly discussion. Pearl Jam is probably the best option you could have gone for. Jeff and the rest of the band were partial to a flannelette shirt, and as the bass player of EMF, Barry, our keyboard player, is called. 
Derry. I don't understand that. I don't know why Barry cares about the name of the keyboard player. I'm just excited the bass player from EMF is listening to Football Weekly. So my memory serves me correctly on top of the pops. All the guitarists wore boxing gloves because obviously they weren't at the time. They knew that, you know. It was miming, yeah. Yeah, we're not playing live, so we're going to prove it. So, you know, thank you very much, EMF, for, for listening to us. Richard says, um, the bassist from Pearl Jam is Jeff Ament, who is brilliant and he does wear shirts. But when they first came to fame in the early 90s, it was all about the hats. They were into basketball, though, weren't they? Pearl Jam. That was They were named after a basketball player. I think that's right. Or was it a baseball player? It was an, it was an American sports right, guy. Okay. Yeah, but they were very... So, they, they, Whose name was Pearl Jam? No, they were called name. Mookie Blakelock, I think was the original oh, name of the band. Oh, but okay. I think that's right. But yeah, but they, they were one of these bands where, I don't think it would be Philippe's era, but that era where... <laughs> Whatever that is. <laughs> well, you know, I can't imagine you, Philippe, uh, wearing shorts on stage. Let's put it that no, way. No. Shorts on stage and a sort of singlet and, you know, dreads, you know. Um, no. Do you ever think, John, you're wasted on a football podcast? I mean, you should be doing mid-mornings on Six Music, shouldn't you? I mean, you'd absolutely nail it. Well, if you can send my CV to the BBC for me, Max, <laughs> and act as a... Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely will. I mean, I don't want you to leave this. I'm, I enjoy your Well, company, thank you. I'm just saying. It's <laughs> a string to your bow, isn't it? Ian says, not a question. Can the panel add any more to David O'Doherty's list of World Cup footballers who sound like Bronte characters? Uh, David is obviously a very funny man and a lovely bloke. It says, the World Cup footballers who sound most like Bronte characters are Jude Bellingham and Martin Brathwaite. Jude Bellingham is a gamekeeper who turns out to be the illegitimate son of the Duke and Martin Brathwaite is the sozzled local magistrate. So look, if you could please uh, keep them coming. I can't off the top of my head better either of those two, but you know, we've got time. The World Cup is carrying on. So uh, yeah, footballweekly at theguardian.com if you'd like to get in touch. It must be one of the Australians fits that. The two surname sort of one-two is, you know, like a double-barreled name for some sort of... Uh, Someone who's upstairs or downstairs? Yeah, so, some sort of Yorkshire nobleman or something like that. <laughs> let's, have, let's have a look. I mean, Andrew Redmayne fits in mainly because it sounds like Eddie Redmayne doesn't it? But um, uh, Nathaniel Atkinson, he could be the vicar. Yeah, Nathaniel Atkinson sounds like some kind of suitor yeah. coming yeah. in. Mitchell Duke, of course. Duke Mitchell Duke. I mean, how do we even <laughs> think of that? Uh, of course he's in there. Anyway, keep those coming, please. Uh, FootballWeeklyTheGuardian.com um, or you can tweet us or just get in touch however. I mean, however you want. They're the ways. Don't just come and find me. <laughs> I've got a personal life. Uh, all right, that'll do for today. Uh, we've chatted enough. Uh, thank you, Mark. Thank you, Max. Thanks, John. Cheers, Max. Thank you, Philippe. Thank you, Max. And thank you to Emma and Marcella as well. Uh, we will be back tomorrow. Football Weekly was produced by Lucy Oliver. Our executive producer is Max Sanders. This is The Guardian. Before Shopify, were you wondering, where my sales at? Now you're selling with Shopify, the global commerce platform supercharging your selling. You have no problem selling online, in person, on social media, and beyond. Gary, easy on the cha-ching. <clears throat> oh, sorry, but my Shopify sales are through the roof. Start selling with Shopify today and discover how millions of businesses around the world use Shopify to ignite their selling. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com listen. Shopify.com listen.
Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware.